Good day, everyone, and welcome to episode 35 of Rare and Resilient 1 in 5,000 podcast, where we're talking IARM. And today we are incredibly fortunate to be joined by Dr. Carlos Reck, who is one of the leading pediatric colorectal surgeons in Europe, who is now based in a hospital, pediatric hospital in Vienna. Welcome, Carlos. Uh, thank you very much. It's great having you inviting me, and I'm very thankful for that. <laughs> it's been a while to get you on here, but it's a pleasure to talk to you because just so listeners understand, in 2019, Carlos was the one who put the International Conference for Colorectal and Pelvic Reconstruction together in Vienna, which I was fortunate enough to attend, and Carlos did a magnificent job with uh, surgeons and patient groups from all over the world. And it was uh, a resounding success just before COVID struck. Yes, it was actually the, the last live building I participated in. And uh, hope I'm gonna start again this year, but so far COVID has made a dent in our endeavors. So Carlos, can you just give us a bit of a background of uh, how you got involved in pediatric colorectal surgery because your start story is a remarkable one from where you where you come from originally to where you are now yes it's it's a long story and it has many pieces but uh to make it a short i i studied in ecuador in quito ecuador at the university and i was uh, working with part of my rotations included the pediatric hospital and I became there aware of, of the need for pediatric colorectal surgery. I mean, there was, a, of course, there are always surgeons doing it, but there was no thing such as a specialized center or specialized people doing only that. And there was a, a very big need, not only in the surgical part, but also on the, on the whole thing surrounding it and long-term follow-up. So... Um, that's when I basically started uh, getting more involved. I met people that, uh, that further inspired me and, and, uh, and were very committed to it. And once you start knowing more about the team or so, it starts at, the, at that age, it becomes, uh, it influences you in a way that uh, I decided that's what I further want to do and where I'm, I'm happy I've been able to be uh, working on, on that field. That led you to America at one stage, didn't it, Carlos, to work at one of the colorectal centers there? After finishing university, I, I worked in, in, the, in a peripheral rural clinic. And then I left, uh, in the meantime, took my USMLEs, did a pediatric, uh, pediatrics residency in New York City. And I, uh, as life wants it, I, I married an Austrian girl. <laughs> and came to Vienna where I further did the pediatric surgery, my pediatric surgical training and went back to the US uh, to train further to make a colorectal fellowship with Mark Levitt at um, Columbus, Ohio. And uh, after coming back, I started to work uh, um, with, with colorectal patients at the Medical University of Vienna. And, and that's where, where we were treating most of the patients and doing most of the work with colorectal patients here in, in Austria. You recently moved hospitals. So where are you located now, Carlos? So I had this great opportunity to create my own pediatric surgical department, which um, is at um, 
the, the second most populous uh, province of Austria after Vienna is, is uh, lower Austria. And they didn't have a pediatric surgical department. So I was asked to, to work on creating one. And that's what I'm doing now. And of course, as you may imagine for me, colorectal is, has a very big priority within this place. So uh, we, we have great things coming after establishing hopefully a, a, some colorectal surgery here. I also plan to do a transitional center as I work here very close with adult surgeons. Yes, so there are very exciting things coming, I, I guess, in the next year or two. Do you take uh, patients, ARM patients from overseas at your hospital, Carlos? Yes, I have, uh, I, I have been seeing a lot of patients from different parts, from different countries. They come and I do, after an initial visit, I stay in touch with them over Zoom or over any online media and uh, have regular visits here or when procedure needs to be done, we, we do it here. Oh, that's great. One of the questions that we get, I see a lot online in the support groups is that the colorectal, dedicated colorectal centers in America, so there's so many of them now, and a lot of parents and patients from overseas internationally would like to know why they don't have a specific colorectal center in their region. Can you just give us a bit of an explanation about the difference between the American system and like the European? Yes, things are changing now in Europe, but initially it was like the American system is, a, is based on, it's a private system versus a state-run system in Austria, mostly. And a private system means that you work by promoting your center and having patients from all over the place. And that uh, has led to certain centers putting a, a creating colorectal centers to combine and to, to have patients treated in their center. Patients can choose where to go. In Austria, as a state-run system, it used to be that patients wouldn't be able to decide where they want. They would have a place assigned close to them or in the city they live, and that's where they would get treatment. So things have changed now. So basically patients can go where, wherever they want. And uh, that has led to uh, certain, pay, certain centers having more centralized places where rare diseases or not so common things uh, are seen more often. And, and I, I think that's where, where the difference is. And what percentage of patients would you see would be anorectal malformation patients at the moment? Well, I was in the university clinic until October 2021, and we had one day which we only saw colorectal patients, and we did, we, we did probably see around 10 to 12 uh, a week in the clinic, and well, of course, not that many surgeries, but it was a small amount from, from the whole thing. It's probably under 10% at that time were colorectal patients. And that include international patients as well? Yes. They, uh, we didn't have that many international patients, but we had maybe one every month or two. Uh, some of them already had surgery and were more for things like bowel management or further evaluation. And a few of them also required some, some type of correction or redo surgery. But uh, of course, primary cases 
from elsewhere where rare at our center. Speaking of bowel management, like a lot of the centers have a dedicated bowel management program there where they have to go visit the center and stay there for a week or so. How do you manage the bowel management programs from your hospital? We don't usually, unless it's a very complicated case where there are like Malone's or, or certain procedures involved, we don't admit patients for bowel management. So we do it rather as an outpatient. Patients come, we start a regimen and, uh, and control them every couple of days, depending on how they are responding. And then uh, get the eventually imaging done. Uh, which they many times don't have to do at the hospital. They do at the local radiology and send us the images. And we do more like an online approach kind of thing. So it's a little less uh, specialized. Most of bowel management is done by the surgeons. We don't have uh, nurses doing or, or people only dedicated to that. But that's the way it is. we do it here and it has been working pretty well. Well, that's good, and I'm sure that will help families, especially from Europe, who are looking at bowel management, and to know that you offer that telehealth service, would I'm sure that would help them greatly because we're always getting questions on that. What's your attitude towards dilations, Carlos? Because I know that Richard Wood at Columbus, they've just recently done a study where they do they not don't do dilations as much, or they offer the opportunity not to do them and do a surgical approach. What's your feeling on that? Yeah, I actually participated in that study. It was started when I was still there. Generally, I'm, I think not dilating is an option. And sometimes, as, as the paper showed, it uh, it may work. But I think it depends very much on how close you're gonna, going to be able to follow up your patients. So if you know you can see them often and you can, uh, and, and you can trust parents to to do stuff i think you can go without dilations and just control them and see if dilations become necessarily necessary further down the road i think it's great for children because it's um, less traumatic of course but i also in settings where you're not as sure about follow-up or reliability i think dilation should still be um, done on a regular basis and i wouldn't want to skip those patients from a dilation program. Thanks. That's that's really important information, Carlos. I appreciate it. Now, I'd like to talk about something that's really close to your heart, which is an organisation called Helping Hands for Anorectal Malformation International. Can you just give us a brief summary of what that organisation does? Yes. So it's um, we created a... Or, or, I joined a colleague to create an organization. After we, I was having trips to um, Honduras and was helping on medical pediatric surgical missions. And we saw this was all started like 10 years ago. And we realized that um, there was a very big need for colorectal malformations and a lot of patients still needed corrective surgery and decided to go in that area and mainly do our missions focus on anorectal malformations and not on general pediatric surgery as they used to be. So with that in mind, uh, I created Helping Hands for Anorectal Malformations where we collect funds and use those funds to first to finance a, a yearly trip there 
where with the same group of surgeons, we operate on uh, children with more complicated um, colorectal and erectile problems. And uh, we use that money to, to first to pay for the mission trip, which means not, not us, not, not the travel cost, but the, the trip there, which means we hire nurses, anesthesiologists, we, we pay for the OR, and then the rest of the money goes to the patients to pay for studies, histology, pathology, because usually there, the state system is, is very deficient and patients need to pay for their own studies uh, if they want to have them done or have them on time, and that's what that money goes to. Oh, that's wonderful. And I'd imagine there'd be so many patients or families that are just unable to get the right care because of the financial situation there. Yes. So um, it is, uh, of course, is mainly uh, very poor people that we treat. And uh, we also have um, had paid a doctor there, a young doctor to help us doing bowel management for a few years and uh, just keeping an eye on those patients and, and having the feedback and follow-up that's needed. Uh, we've been almost every year, we've been there like 10 or 11 times, I'm not sure right now. And uh, so we have the opportunity also to check on our patients from previous missions, from previous brigades where we already did surgery and do examinations under anesthesia or further adaptations if needed or corrections. So it's a nice way because we cover very few places, mainly Honduras at this point, and that way we can also provide continuity and not just like a surgical or, or just a single, single visit correction uh, for, for the problem. And how do, they, how do they go with stoma supplies over there? Do they have ready access to them? or like bags, etc. or is it? It's very sad sometimes you see that the children either, they have the stomas and they get covered with uh, diapers. And then they have a diaper in the stoma and have like a, cover it with different types of, of bandages where they fixate the diaper on the stoma, which leads to a lot of uh, skin problems many times. And uh, of course, um, it's not, it's easy to do, but the, the results are not always that great. And in other places, or sometimes they use like regular plastic bags and fixate it with like a string, like a belt around their abdomen and where the plastic bag is over the stoma and, and it's used as a stoma supply. So we have been providing some stoma supplies, but the problem is, um, Many times it's also, it's not only the, the lack of supplies, but it's the lack of people there that will teach them how to use it. And then the patients or parents many times uh, are already used to their other systems and don't, there is also a little bit of a cultural barrier sometimes. So a lot of education is needed. Yeah, that's a big problem. Those, those skin problems with, with, uh, because of the way that uh, stomas are handled. I can only imagine, and I know what we've done trying to help families in Ghana, and it's a similar situation, and it's just so awful. And it's hard for parents in first world countries to actually understand that they don't have access to such available supplies that just are so important. I think actually for life quality, of course, the surgical part is very important, but what those people like 
many times most is the post-surgical care and care of complications. So it's not always the initial surgery. Many times in many countries, there are very capable surgeons, but they cannot, they don't just don't have the resources to do the whole thing around caring for colorectal patients. And that's, I think, where we can contribute the most helping in those countries. Yeah, well, certainly we at the One Number 5000 Foundation are quite happy to help you source some supplies if that's going to help the situation. Wonderful. That's that's a great idea. We should talk more about it. Yeah, no, we absolutely will, for sure. And Carlos, you're involved in helping out the Peru community as well, aren't you? Yes, uh, there is a group there that's called Red de Corazones, which means Hearts Network or something. And they also have been financing and helping the Children's Hospital to, to build up a colorectal center in, in Lima, in Peru. And I've been uh, lucky enough to be asked to help with that work. And I've been, this is, I've been th- three times now where we do similar to what we do in Honduras, the, the group does in, in Lima. And this year, we're also gonna be meeting Mark Levitt with colorectal teams overseas there. So it's also a very nice program. And the nice thing about this program is it's actually a big children's hospital with a group of doctors that are able to keep it for running and and, uh, training new doctors in that field. So it has a lot of future. And I'm also very much looking to to this year to have new people join us and work work on that. Oh, that's wonderful. And it just goes to show the remarkable work people like yourself and Dr. Levitt are doing because these third world countries, I can't even imagine some of the conditions the uh, doctors and the parents have to deal with and not having the right care and supplies so and expertise. So that's just, it's such a wonderful humanitarian exercise, Carlos. I can't be too impressed. Uh, Thank you very much. I mean, me, myself, being from a developing country, Ecuador, and seeing the needs, uh, I, it's very important for me to be able to give back. And I hope that I can, uh, we can start doing it soon in Ecuador too. Well, that's right. And as I said to you earlier, if there's anything we can do from the One in 5,000 Foundation to assist in any way, we're more than happy. Wonderful. We'll um, keep you updated and involved wherever we see that we, we, we can cooperate and, and have a... The more we are, the better we cooperate, the better the results are. Yeah. It's a team. Absolutely, Carlos. Absolutely. So just getting on to where currently with the care of patients, ARM patients, where do you see the future going at the moment, Carlos? Do you think there's, with research, et cetera, and medical advancements, do you think there's any changes approaching with the care for patients? I think it, the education has become much better in the last years. And I think that's also very much thanks to Dr. Peña, to Dr. Levitt, that have been spreading the word around. I think we are going to not have, we certainly are going to have changes in the way we approach colorectal patients. And it's an evolving field that probably many years was not uh, on top of pediatric surgeons. Um, list, but now it has become a very important part and that contributes to a lot of studies being done and and progress. But generally, I think we're moving towards a situation where 
most pediatric surgeons should be able to do, or hopefully would be able to do things like bowel management and less complicated cases, but uh, be savvy enough to refer complicated cases to centers or places that uh, do them more regularly and have more experience with that. Um, and I think that the changes, other than the, I would say, technique for doing the colorectal surgery are going to be on the, on the way patients are managed after surgery and the way they, are, they get access to help for life quality issues more than actually only anatomical and functional issues. So, Carlos, what's your feeling of the way to help parents from, and patients from the emotional well-being side of things? Well, I think it's fundamental that we as doctors don't lose sight that the colorectal problems carry a lot of, uh, of uh, mental health issues because of the nature of the disease, which means uh, many times uh, children miss a lot of school, so it has implications on the social part. Of course, care, daily care can be complicated, time demanding and uh, make it for those children if they don't have a good support group to uh, not be accepted in, in, a, in a social settings or being put aside. So that leads to a lot of mental care problems on it. And I think it's an essential part. So I think things like, uh, like uh, non-direct surgical treatment options, like different types of physiotherapy, mental health support, and I would say bowel management, nursing support are, uh, I would say the 80% of the success of a, of a good managed uh, anorectal, colorectal patient. Right, yeah, that's, that's very important. And, and I, I know over the last few years, I, I've seen the definite change in attitude towards the mental health side of things I'm sh through, through pediatric care, I'm sure. Yes, unfortunately, in the past, there was a lot of, we used to differentiate and try to put everything into slots. So saying mental health is this slot, I don't know, physiological and anatomical problems come in this slot. And now we're back to recognizing that those factors cannot be treated independently, that there needs to be put into a context and treated as a whole. And that that actually improves the outcomes of whatever we do in, in healthcare. Yeah. Now, you mentioned about your passion to get the transition of care program up and running at your hospital. Do you see adult ARM patients at the moment? I have a few. I'm not seeing them regularly, but I have a few which I have been following and treating for a while. Uh, but um, the plan is to offer because I have also uh, some patients that eventually in the next, I would say, 10 years will are going to transition to be adults and I would be, uh, and they don't really have any options for follow-up here in Austria. So I hope we can offer that here. Uh, so there is a center for um, transitional care and eventually adult care of patients with anorectal disease. Right. So if we have some uh, ARM adults listening to this podcast from Europe, would they be able to get in touch with you if they haven't had any care since they left the pediatric field, which is a lot of times is the case? Yes, I'm very happy to do it. Actually, if there is a, if they come from the European Union, they can actually very easily come here to the public hospital. 
if they come from countries that are non-European unions, I'm very happy also to help them. But if uh, surgery or things need to be done, they need to first uh, contact the hospital. I mean, they, I would, I can tell them how to do it, but they would need to contact, get in touch with the hospital and get some cost estimation or something like that. But we're very happy. And from our part, we're never going to um, send anybody back without trying to help them. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So what I'll do is I'll get your email address for any patients or parents who would like to contact you because I can't emphasize how how well regarded you are in the pediatric colorectal field all over the world because I know I've seen the respect that your colleagues have for you, Carlos, and for you to be available to parents and to adults would be so wonderful. Yes, I would be very happy to, to help wherever I'm, I can. Oh, that's great. So, Carlos, can you give us some news about an app that may be coming into fruition soon? Yes, so we're working on an app here that uh, is going to allow to follow up patients that are not uh, close to us, especially with data collection, and eventually contribute to uh, further bowel management adjustments based on the data learning from those patients. So uh, the app is going to be... It's actually quite working now, but it's not ready in the sense that we still have to feed the data for the outputs to be applicable. But I think once it works, it's going to be a great help, especially when patients are far away or, or you don't have direct availability to see them, but you have the data to, to work on and, and make adjustments at this point, mainly for bowel management. That's that's such wonderful news, Carlos, and especially how everyone's got their phones with them now or their iPads, and to be able to use an app for bowel management would be revolutionary, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it because I think it's it's the missing link for us that don't have big departments with a lot of help doing bowel management. Well, once it's all ready to go, I'm sure that I'll get the details off you and we'll promote it on our support groups, for sure. Wonderful. Looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. So are the patients and parents, I'm sure. So, Carlos, I can't thank you enough for making yourself available and the information that you've provided, especially for European ARM families, it's going to be so important for them to hear it. And I'm sure you'll get contacted by a lot of the families to see if they can organise themselves or their child or their well for adults as well to come and see you so can't thank you enough for your time carlos thanks greg it's been great talking to you and i hope we talk again soon we certainly will once once we can get those conferences up and running again hey and i'm looking forward for um, all the patients that want to come here and hopefully we are able to offer them some missing help if needed I'm sure they will definitely be contacting you. Okay, Carlos, bye-bye. Bye, Greg. Have a great day. Thank you.